You know, just one of those stories was on my heart today. It's in it's in Nehemiah, but stay, hang out in um, hang out in Acts there. It says, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their own towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. Uh, water is always a picture of the word in Scripture. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses to which the Lord had commanded for Israel. And so on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. And he read it aloud from daybreak until noon. That's a long service. And as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand, and the people listened attentively to the book of the law. And as was described, stood high on a wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Matt and I and all these other people. There were 12 in all. And Ezra opened the book, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And he, as he opened it, the people all stood up. And Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. They were a little charismatic. Then they bowed down, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And so you had the reading of God's word before the people, and people were interacting, they were standing, and they were falling down before the Lord as God spoke through his word, through the prophet here, the scribe Ezra. It says they read from the book of the law, marking it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. How many of you, when you're going through the Bible, go, oh my goodness, what does that mean? Praise God for people like Ezra and other people. I, I, that's how I'm learning. I have people that I have that have walked alongside of me and have taught me the Word of God to where I can understand what it means. How to, not only what it means, but what is God saying to me? How is this applying to how I live? And we can approach the Scriptures purely from an intellectual standpoint. We can approach it from so many different angles. But the idea is that God's Word changes us. It changes us, it motivates us, it, it speaks to the innermost being of our hearts, and it moves, it messes with our will. Not so that we will be reassured of what we want to do, but what he's told us to do. And we move and conform to what he says, not what man says or what I say. But what does the word say? What does the word of God say to us today? And so it says, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who were instructing all the people said to him, This is the day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. God, as they read the words of the law, they saw how far they fell short of what God had called them to be as a people. And how many times when we open the word the word is not necessarily, it, it's, it's a bittersweet thing. It's like a sword. It comes in and it cuts our hearts and we go, oh, oh, and you begin to have this mourning inside. But see, the Lord said on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Matthew chapter five, blessed are those who mourn, very first thing in that message, for they shall be what? Comforted. The mourning comes first as the word hits our hearts. But oh, the joy comes afterward as the Holy Spirit goes, now rise and stand up, I've cleansed you. 
And that's kind of the, the way this chapter is going to work out, is it starts with the message. It starts with the word. It's always the gospel of Jesus Christ that Jesus is trying to communicate into the hearts and lives of his church, his people. Acts is full of talking to religious people who have been churched, so to speak. It started in the house of Israel and it went out. Now we're going to reach the Gentiles. And so I don't want to assume that because we've been sitting here for years on end, that, you know, we're all saved. I don't want to assume also that, you know, because, you know, you're a pastor and you're teaching that the Lord is done with you. You know, that you've, you've achieved and you're, you're like a level 50 dwarf or whatever it is. You know what I mean? You're just going to, that's not for you guys. Sorry, very different generation. So, I know that's not even really that high, but... Listen, <laughs> get back to the topic here. <laughs> that the Lord would actually continue to soften our hearts and prepare us for the word. There was an expectation in their hearts, the hearts of the people. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. That is not something that can be uh, manipulated into people. That is just something He does to the hearts of people. And in chapter 10, we see a guy named Cornelius. And we talked about it last week. He was a centurion, which means he was, in the, he was part of the army that was occupying the Jews. He was in a position of authority. He had 100 men under him. Centurions are usually referenced as pretty, um, I would say honorable men, but they were very faithful men. They, were, uh, they had character even though they went and slaughtered people at people's command. They were very faithful people. Um, and this Gentile named Cornelius, it says that he was devout. It says that he feared God, he and his family. This is the kind of person he was, raised in a pagan culture, raised in multi-gods around him, you know, in that culture of Rome. And yet he feared the Yahweh, the one true God. He gave to the poor. He prayed regularly. This is the type of man that he was. And if I was looking at a guy to say, this guy is the epitome of what we need to have, you know, as an elder in our church, you know, I mean, just say, you know, hey, who, who would this be? Well, it's this guy. He's a God-fearer. His family fears the Lord. He is, you know, he, he, he ministers to the poor. So there's an action of his life that's happening, actually impacting people. And he's also, he's, he's a man of prayer. And yet, the guy is totally lost. Totally lost. That's scary. And that heart, though, that reflection, what he's doing, he's seeking God. He's honestly crying out to the Lord. It, it, it gathers the Lord's attention. And so what happens? He sends an angel, divine revelation, comes to this person and says, Hey, as he was praying at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, regularly, right? And he sends him and says, Hey, I want you to go send someone, Cornelius, to, to Peter. He's staying in Joppa. Send some, send some people. And so he sends three people. Three Gentiles scoot out the door and make their way to Joppa. The next day, what's happening? Peter is, it's lunchtime. He's getting hungry. He's up there. He's, he's waiting for the sandwich to be made. And he has a vision 
And the vision, the screen with four corners comes down from heaven. Like I said last week, it was like a PowerPoint. Just three times it came down and had pictures of animals and creepy things. And what, is, what, is, what does the Lord say to Peter? He says, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter is a Jew. And what is Peter's initial heart response? Not so, Lord. And we talked about that last week. Peter likes to correct the Lord quite often. And so the Lord lowers it three times. Three is that language that Peter understands. Remember, he it came down the third time. He's like, it got you. Never mind. Let's stop. Three times it came down. And he knew in his heart God was, God was talking to him in business because three times he had denied him. Three times Jesus had asked him if he loved, he loved him and he wept bitterly. So God is working through circumstances. And as he's pondering this guy's vision, as he's pondering uh, what, what is happening and what all this means, he didn't have the full understanding, just rise, kill, and eat. What does this mean? Three times, up, down, up, down, right? As he was pondering it, he gets a knock at the door. The servant comes up and says, Hey, Peter, you have three people at the door. Three people at the door. And he's like, ah. And he goes and they explain that they're from Cornelius, and he invites them into his house as a guest. You do not do that if you're a Jew. You never associate with Gentiles. They are dirty and unclean people. You don't do it. And yet, the Lord is changing things. The death of Jesus Christ changed so much. Peter had a fear of, he had a great heart. He wanted to follow the Lord, but he never followed through. And so we had that going on. And God begins to speak to his heart. And he begins to change him. He breaks him through those circumstances of denying Jesus. He, he restores him. He empowers him. He's out there preaching the gospel. We see all the opposition to the gospel. Remember, the, the story of Acts is about the gospel going forward. And we see from the beginning all the way until now how the gospel is going forward and it stops, either because of someone in the church with hypocrisy, right? Or because of people wanting to kill them in religious circles, or because of fear, or because of all these things. And we see Stephen getting stoned, and then Saul was a big part of that. The obstacles of the gospel that fall into the life of the believer. And so we see this church that is growing. It comes and hits, hits its corner, and then God, by His grace, through the Holy Spirit, removes the obstacle as they seek Him. And then they keep going, and then people keep adding to the church, adding to the church, adding to the church through the gospel. That is how a church is to grow, through the gospel. It's not about getting numbers. It's about people coming to Jesus, surrendering their lives. You don't come to church um, by being a part of a culture. You don't come to Jesus by being a part of a culture. You know, you come to Jesus, the person. That is how you become into the church of Christ. It's through the person. He's the door. And the church is about preaching the gospel. The mission is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what the guys were, were dying for. That is what this church was about every single day of their lives. These people that were gathering together, what they were talking about is I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see, and I can't help but share that with my family member who I'm burdened with, my neighbor, my friend. And that, is what they, that was the culture of the church. The culture was changed lives, growing in the Lord, and shining it. Were they a perfect church? No. 
but they were a holy church. And they were an empowered church filled with the Holy Spirit. And God was using them mightily in the lives of people all around him. So much Saul that Saul, so that Saul got, was born again. Saul of all people. And so we see these obstacles to the gospel. And ask yourself, what obstacles do you have in your life to the gospel? What is, what is holding you back from the things that God is calling you to be? Calling you to step out in in faith? Perhaps it's hypocrisy. Perhaps it's fear from oppression, physical persecution, alienation from friends, whatever it might be. We see that all through the scripture. Now Peter runs into a different one. He's got a prejudice. He's got a prejudice against people, Gentiles. And by the way, it was kind of set up that way so the Messiah could come through the nation of Israel. But Christ broke down all the barriers. And now Jesus, he comes to Peter and says, hey, Shows them all the animals and says, rise, kill, and eat. Peter says, no, I've never had anything unclean, not going to do it. And Jesus says, hey, don't you call things unclean that I have made clean. Jesus made the unclean clean. And so he's changing things from Peter. And Peter's been walking with the Lord for quite a while here. We're 10 to 12 years in since he knew the Lord. How many of you have been walking with the Lord for 10 or 12 years? How many of you think you have some things you probably need to change? God wants to go, hey, rise, kill, and eat. Now, don't take that. You know, you got to do one of those scenarios on you. Wake up. I want you to walk across the street. Not so, Lord. I've never walked across the street. Not so, Lord. I don't associate with those people. Not so, Lord. I've never, I don't. Well, the gospel goes right through all of it. Don't you know those people are sinners? Don't you know this and that? I'm very well aware of that, and that's why I've chosen you. Philip was in Caesarea. He was an evangelist. Why did he go send Peter? I don't think Philip needed the work. I think Peter did. I think God was going to change Peter over and over and over in his lifetime. And he would struggle with this issue. As, we'll, as you read later in Galatians. Pause to call him on the car, but we talked about that. But they say to him, they're in verse, uh, they, the, these guys come to his door and Peter, in verse 23, it says, then Peter invited them in into his house to be his guests. He would have never have done that if the Lord hadn't have intervened and said, Peter, this is the way it is. So he's responding to the Holy Spirit's work in his life. Now, the Holy Spirit was communicating with him in a way that Peter would understand, correct? Three, three, three. Okay, gotcha. What's up? What are we doing? And he was aware. God's going to speak to you in a way that you understand, and it's not going to contradict Scripture. You'll get his, his, his measure, like, like Doug was sharing today about how those things worked out and what was going on in his heart. See, the Lord is working through circumstance. It wasn't a coincidence that he was praying at 3 o'clock. Cornelius was praying at 3 o'clock. There were three Gentiles that went. All these things were happening. And the Lord will speak to you in these ways. Ask. Say, Lord, open my eyes so I I can know what you're saying, how to hear your voice. My sheep know my voice. And then you just respond. Like Peter, you might have a dialogue. Not so, Lord. And the Lord goes, no, no, no. 
It is so. Come on, let's go. All right, but I'm really nervous and I don't like it. It's culturally awkward and blah, 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 whatever it is. You just step out in faith and obedience. You just do it. And look what happens. The next day, Peter started out with them. Verse 23.5. And some of the brothers from Joppa went along. There were actually six. And so you had seven Jews hanging out here, going on this journey. Seven Jews, three Gentiles. Went from Joppa. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. And Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. An angel appears to Cornelius. Divine revelation to Peter. The Holy Spirit is working. Cornelius is expecting God to do something. He's called for Peter. He's waiting. And what does he do? As he's expecting God to work. Who does he invite? Who does he bring alongside? Who does he say, God's going to do something? He, there's something going on here. He's going to work. He's going to move. I don't know the whole picture, but there's something big going to happen. I know because he's spoken. And he grabs who? His family and his close friends. And he says, come. And he invites them all in the room. Come with me. Who, who are you reaching out to? Who are you inviting yes to church so they can hear the word preached? Not because, you know, check it off, but because you're compelled that God is going to do something in their hearts. That's a big step for a centurion of the Roman army to go step out and to invite people to hear the word preached in his home. He was expecting, verse 25 says, as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. Peter, the apostle, the miracle worker, you know, or the, the guy that had been divinely told to come here, and, and it's all connecting, and there he is, and Cornelius goes, oh, you're Peter, Whoa, and he falls down at his feet in reverence. Perhaps it's cultural, whatever it is. Notice Peter's response. But Peter made him get up, stand up. He said, I am only a man myself. Humility on both part of these guys. Cornelius was a man of authority, and yet he fell down at Peter's feet. Peter was a man under authority. Jesus Christ, he goes, I do not touch the glory. I don't touch the glory. And when God starts to use you, when, God, when people start to look at you as someone, uh, you know, what, no matter what, what area of work you're in or whatever it is, they start to recognize you, we defer the glory to God. We defer the glory to God because it's, it's, it's him. It's him. We don't touch the glory. We give all glory and honor and praise to Jesus Christ. You know, it's amazing what we love to do with people. Here Peter is. How many times has Peter had to tell people, get up? They just have a, a knack for bowing down to this guy. How many of you have a Catholic background? <laughs> right. So tell me about Peter. He's the first pope, don't you know? And what, is, what does pope mean? It means papa, it means father, right? What did Jesus say about calling people father? He says, you don't call anybody father because you have one father in heaven. And yet it's like the chief guy is named father. 
He also says, don't pray in vain repetition. When he's teaching about how to pray. And what do we do? Lord's Prayer, vain repetition. Hail Marys, all that stuff. And I'm not, that's a side thing. But I'm just saying how easy it is for the heart of men to take what was very special and what God worked through a man and to elevate him above the place that the Lord had called him to be. We do that. We do that. And Peter constantly had to have the humility of his heart to say, no, I'm just a guy, I'm just a guy, just a guy. Right now, there are people in Rome in the basilica there in St. Peter's Square with a statue of Peter who will go and are kissing his feet right now. Statue of Peter touching his, his feet. And if Peter were there, I wonder what he would say. Like he just, he'd have his own chair next to it and say, get up, stop it. Get up, stop it. Get up, stop it. Go, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We have that ability to do that in our hearts. And I love Peter's humility here. He says, you know what? No, don't, don't bow down before me. We bow down before Jesus Christ. I'm only a man myself. In verse 27, talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Oh, yeah, he's happy. And he said to them, you're all aware, this is his opening line. I love this. You're all aware, you know, you're well aware that this is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. (laughs) He just, like, he just got it right out of the awkwardness was gone. He just got rid of it. Hey, you know, this isn't supposed to happen according to our law, but God, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Now, he's referring back to the vision he had. The vision was about animals coming down, right? What was it really about? It's about people. He had assumed people were unclean, and Jesus said, no, don't you call them clean, unclean. I've made them clean. And the food was part of the obstacle, the dietary laws, the kosher laws that would keep him from hanging out in their houses and eating together and from doing those things. You know, you wonder, I like to blame, you know, my lovely figure on you guys. So that's not true, but I mean, Food is a part of hanging out with people. It is a part of getting to know them. It is a part of life, eating together. Gentiles, I mean, you go in the middle of the jungles of the Philippines, you're going to eat some different stuff. And so part of mission training was whatever they give you, be thankful. And you didn't ask what it was if you didn't know what it was. You just ate it. And you smiled. It was awesome. But then there were brothers and sisters who knew that about us and would give us weird stuff because they knew we couldn't say anything and they were just being mean. <laughs> yeah, anyways. But, so I want you to be free to go eat. And so mainly it was about the people. And listen, we live in a culture here with Seventh-day Adventism that stresses health, that stresses certain aspects of food. And I would say that, you know, I, I understand uh, you know, the vegetarianism and all that type of stuff. Um, it's morphed over the years, and you can go back and read Ellen G. White's prophecy from 1863 and all that type of stuff. But 
remember the words of Jesus. Bypass all of that and say, what did Jesus say? And if food is an obstacle for you from hanging out with people or eating or preaching the gospel, get rid of it. Just let it go. Eat the ham sandwich, whatever it is, because that is love. And also the other way, me hanging out with people who are vegetarians and trying to preach Christ to them, and if my ham sandwich is going to stumble them, then I won't eat meat. You see the other way around? What is love? But that is not a reason uh, for salvation. That is not, a, uh, you know, if I do eat this or I don't eat this, that has nothing to do with salvation. Jesus said in Mark uh, or Matthew, somewhere there, I can't remember the verse, but he said, Listen, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It goes into your stomach, it's an eliminated. Because it doesn't enter the heart. It's what's in your heart that makes you dirty. And Jesus says, guess what? Where, do, where does murder come from? Where does hate come from? Where does adultery come from? Where does all this stuff come from? It doesn't come from what you eat. It comes actually out of your heart because that's what's already in it. It's the heart God is dealing with. And so he's saying, so then basically... Peter, go and minister to these people. You're free to do it. And that's the main thing. What are the obstacles to the gospel? He's not sacrificing holiness. He's not, you know, pretending that sin isn't sin. Anyone? You know, I had a, I had a pastor walk up to me and say, hey, uh, I was at some fellowship and and they were from a different state and stuff. They were talking about the Lord and how God's doing great things. He's like, yeah, my lead usher is, you know, is an is a active homosexual. And I just sat there and I was going, okay, I understand reaching and ministering to people in the heart of the gospel. But what if I had turned it, because we have a weird culturally thing, what if I said, hey, my, my lead usher is an alcoholic. My lead usher cheats on his wife. My lead usher is this or that. And just throw down anything that could be culturally. In an attempt to reach people, they sacrifice the very gospel, which is repentance from sin. Not promotion of it. It's not a grace that we continue on and say, hey, look at Jesus forgave me. And oh yeah, it's all cool. It's all good. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus came to a woman caught in adultery and said, go and sin no more. Turn, run, because the wrath of God is being poured out on such things, which we've all partaken with in different ways. Have we not? I don't stand here condemning, but as one of those who stood condemned apart from Jesus Christ in stuff that I'd be ashamed to admit in front of you. Ashamed. So we don't boast in those things. We boast in the cross, we boast in his forgiveness, and that we've repented because of his grace. And anyways, I should not call any man impure. And so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. And he did. I mean, he had raised objection with the Lord, but when they came to him, he was, he was obedient to the, to the Lord. He says, may I ask you why you sent for me? What am, why am I here? What, what is it you're really want, wanting? And Cornelius, uh, verse 30, answered, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, and at three in the afternoon, suddenly a man came in shining clothes and stood before me, the shining one, the fiery ones, an angel, verse 31, and said to me, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. 
Angels are messengers from the Lord. Sometimes we see them, sometimes we don't. Most likely we don't. But if we did see them, the instant result is fear and we fall on our face. They're fiery ones and they're from the presence of the Lord. They're messengers. They have specific roles. But notice what he says. He says, hey, Cornelius, God has, what is he? He's taken note of his life and what's going on. He's taken note of that. I love that. I've heard your prayers and I remember your gifts to the poor. God hears your prayers and he remembers your gifts. He knows. He's kept account. He knows your prayers. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows. He knows. He knows. He's well aware of all of it. Just because you don't have a fiery angel standing in front of you does not mean he has not heard. He has heard and he is hearing. Verse 32, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter, and he is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. And so I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And that's that Nehemiah chapter 8. There's this anticipation. God is going to work. God is going to move. This is not a salvation issue here, because Peter says, uh, in verse 34, and Peter began to speak. Now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. He doesn't show favoritism based upon whether you're a man or a woman or what your national background is or any of those things. He does not show favoritism, neither should we. If we're showing favoritism, we need to repent. Amen? We do not show favoritism. The gospel does not show favoritism. It's looking for the heart, not where you come from. It's looking for our hearts. But accepts men from what? Every nation who fear him and do what is right. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom, fearing of judgment, fearing of the wrath of God upon their lives, reverence for God, and doing what is right, responding to that responding to that by receiving Jesus. Those are the things that God has called us to. Notice from every nation, God is a missionary God. Did you know God is a missionary God? He desires to go beyond right where you are, all the way from the beginning, from Abraham. What did he say to Abraham? We talked about last week. And through you and your seed, Jesus, capital S, all the nations will be blessed. Nations are people groups. Way back there, the beginning of Judaism, my plan is it not just to stay with you, but to go through the whole world. And then what happens in Matthew chapter 28, verse 17 through 19? All authority has been given to me. Now go. Making disciples of all nations. So even the commission that Jesus had given them included the Gentiles. Go into all nations. Go. You are free to preach the gospel wherever, whenever. You're free to minister in his name to all types of people. Don't even speak your language. It's wonderful. You should try it. Exercise of faith. How God will work those things out. He accepts them from every nation who fear him and do what is right. And then you know the message God sent to the people of Israel. It was common knowledge of the day. Telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. And friends, this is important. We have the message of peace. Good news. Good news, amen? 
That is our message. It's good news. We're on the winning team, and everybody's invited. It's like every little soccer team's dream. I mean, everybody wins. Come on in. You know? Telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Very important to note about that, that, that phrase, Jesus is Lord of all. In Rome, you had a pantheon of gods. You had gods for everything. We know about mythology and we know all those things. But there was a God for everything under the sun. And people would worship the God who would take care of their field and give them a good harvest. And so they'd sacrifice to that God. And then, you know, the God of whatever fertility and you just go down the road, whatever. They'd worship all these pantheons of gods, right? It was just whoever it was. And Caesar came along and said, hey, I am Lord. I am the supreme God. They'd raised him up to a deity. And so as a Roman, everybody had to say, hey, Caesar is Lord. And that is why Christians would not say that. They would not say that and they'd be thrown to the lions and persecuted and all those things that happened to our brothers and sisters. And you can read about that in Fox's Book of Martyrs. And so this meant a lot. A, because it meant that Jesus was the supreme God above all gods and all gods are not gods. That he is king of kings and lord of lords. He rules all. And it also means that he is God of the Gentiles and the Jews. He's Lord of the whole, all the people. He's Lord of them all. And that was very impactful for him. That he is supreme. Verse 37, you know what has happened through Judea beginning in Galilee after God, I'm sorry, after the baptism that John preached and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Jesus' ministry continues to the church. That same thing happens through us. And he says, verse 39, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And here we go, the message. And they killed him by hanging him on a tree, on a cross. They very much, as a centurion, he knew exactly what he was talking about. But, on, but God raised him from the dead on the third day, and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. We have those 500 witnesses who saw him from the time he was resurrected until he ascended. And when, when Peter commanded us to preach, I'm sorry, when, I'm sorry, he commanded us to preach to the people. That is why Peter was there, and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the, and the dead. That Jesus Christ is the judge of the living and the dead. And it says this, And all the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. That Jesus died, that he rose again the third day, and through faith in him, you have the forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel. That is how simple it is. What are we being saved from? We're being saved from the judgment of God. And who is the judge? Jesus Christ himself, the one who was slain. Flip over to, Roman, uh, to Revelation chapter 19 real quickly. Revelation 19 verse 11. 
What are we being saved from? Revelation 19, verse 11, to begin with. And I saw heaven standing open. There before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and makes war. And his eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself, and he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies of the of the heaven, I'm sorry, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, which is to strike down the nations. And he, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. And he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thighs, he has a name that is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He came on a donkey, first time, Peace. He's coming back on a horse. War. Judgment. Making all the scales even. It's not your flannel graph, Jesus. Eyes of fire. Sword coming out of his mouth. And we don't talk about this in church anymore. Then 2011. Chapter 2011. Then I saw a great white throne. And whom who who was seated on it Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. There was no place for the earth and sky. What in the world is going on here? And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades, that's hell, this temporary holding place, gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades, hell, were thrown into the lake of fire, the lake of fire, the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. And if you flip up to verse, uh, go up to verse 6, it says, Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second uh, death has no power of them, but they will be priests of God, and Christ will reign with him for a thousand years. I'm sorry, it was, um, wasn't it? Uh, it was verse uh, 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, which the beast and the false prophet had been thrown in, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It is an eternal separation from God. Hell is not going to be, hell is a temporary holding place. Hell gets thrown into the lake of fire which is forever and ever and ever, and it's based upon what we have done in our bodies. What we have done. God will open the books, and everything you have said, everything I have said, everything we've thought, you know, we've forgotten about, it will be laid bare before God. So when we say Jesus saves, what does he save from? That. And that is why the message is so Because God is love, but he is just. And he desires, his heart is that none should perish. And so, because he loves the people who are headed that direction, he sent his son. He does not just say, oh, it's okay. There has to be a price paid, and that was Jesus Christ. He came down, he died. The wrath of God was poured upon him, and those who did not receive that forgiveness. You do not call upon the name of Jesus and say, I believe, forgive me and save me from what I deserve. We'll be eternally separated from God. And that is the mission that we've been given. The angel 
was right there and he could have said it and he could have said it better than anybody else. But it is not the angel's job to preach the gospel. It is my job. It is your job. It is our calling, our mission as part of the redeemed to go and share. And that is it. You don't woo people into the kingdom any other way except through Jesus Christ. And as Cornelius and his family and everyone was gathered around, the, the Holy Spirit had already done the conviction, I need to be saved. And that guy was a righteous dude from worldly perspective, but not compared to Jesus Christ, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all the prophets testify testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. That's how people are saved through Jesus. God save me. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. God interrupted himself. What? He was teaching and the Holy Spirit cut him off because the Holy Spirit was orchestrating the whole thing. And what happens? The Holy Spirit fell on this group of Gentiles. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were all astonished at the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, even on them. Why? Verse 46, For they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God, part of the manifestation of the Spirit. Spirit-filled people, some of the church will speak in tongues. Get used to it part of the gifts. We can talk about that at a different time. I've talked about that for a while. But, and then Peter said, verse 37, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that he be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. The word is preached. People go, God save me. The Holy Spirit comes and floods their lives, their new creation, Christ Jesus. And then the response of the believer after that is to be baptized, to be immersed in water, to publicly say, I am his and he is mine. And you dunk yourself in the water just like he went down representing the death of Jesus, but you come back up, newness of life, the symbol. And the idea is that the water permeates every part of your body. And the idea is that's what God wants to do with us. He wants to get in all the crevices. He wants to fill you, overflow you, saturate you. You're his. Amen? If you haven't been baptized, come on. The water's cold, I guess. Come talk to me. Let the Lord pull you out, draw you out. Amen? This is the mission of the church. What did he say to do? Go preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And guess what? And by the way, I'm with you. I'm with you. If you are like a Cornelius and you're a righteous dude, but you haven't given your heart to the Lord, it's time. It's time to say, God, save me, help me. If you've been, you know, just listen to this and go, God, I, I need help. Now's the time to respond to the Spirit in your life and let Him come in and make you new. Amen? And He will comfort, He will fill, and He will make you a new creation. By the way, it's God working behind the scenes the whole time, as we've seen already, to bring you to that place. It's Him. He's been working. So surrender. 
and follow wholeheartedly. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I lift up our body. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the word. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is working through our lives right now. That you are working through circumstances in situations that we aren't even aware of to move in us and through us to draw people to your son. And I praise you for that this morning. Praise you for that. And Father, I do. I lift up the gospel. If anyone has never called out and said, God, save me. Forgive me of my sins. Father, we pray for your church. Most of the people in here are born again and filled with your spirit. And I pray that you'd empower us to continue to impact the community around us, to be a Cornelius and gather those people around us, our family and our friends. Lord, if there's anything hindering your gospel in our church, we ask that you reveal it and just graciously deal with it, Lord, and encourage us out. We thank you so much that we are all like Peter who have something to learn today and something different to see about you and your grace. So, Lord, have your way this week. Praise you, praise you for all that you've done and are doing. You are so good. Thanks for reaching down, Lord. Thank you for the work you're going to do this week through us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.